Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Hey, Nicole. Welcome back. Hey, Chris. How are you? Doing amazing. The weather's great. It's not too cold. It's sunny. Oh. <laughs> I was there in Ohio. See, lucky. We went from 70 degrees last week, which was weird for November, to cold. Right. We had frost on the ground. Thank God for automatic waters that are frost free. But yeah, yes. we are in winter <laughs> mode. Had to dig out yeah. all the winter blankets. So big shift here, but honestly, nothing to complain about. We haven't had snow yet, which some of our friends further north have. So right, we can right. handle a little bit of cold. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I know. God, you know, another thing, to, you know, winterizing horses. But today we're going to talk about soy because mm-hmm. this is such a hot topic. It, it's been a hot topic in human nutrition, you know, for the last 10 years and equine nutrition, right? I mean, this is something you hear about all the time. Yes, we do get definitely get requests for soy-free feed or just questions around, is soy okay for my horse? Is it good? Is it bad? Some people have very strong opinions that it's negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say mm-hmm. the goal of this podcast is not to change your opinion, but just to have a discussion around soy and its attributes and maybe things that aren't so great about it. Right. And, you know, in our first podcast, we we talked about you know, feed allergies and we, we talked a little bit about soy in that episode. And I think it's, it's worth revisiting. So I, I think, you know, for listeners, what, you know, why soy protein? You know, where's it sourced from and, and why is this one, I guess, the one used so much in equine diets? Good question. Well, the big picture answer is that it's a high quality source of protein. It's really high in those amino acids that aren't available even in good quality forage in sufficient quantities. And it's not just the protein. So it's readily available because it's grown in the parts of the country where we make horse feed. It has some really good positive nutritional attributes. And there are a couple different parts of the soybean itself that we utilize in equine nutrition. So if you're looking to avoid soy, which I think we're going to actually do a follow-up podcast talking about that a little more, it's not as simple as just avoiding soybean meal because it's a very widely used set of ingredients. So kind of taking a step back, you know, why soy? How is it sourced? You have to think about all the different things that come from soy. So big caveat never feed a raw soybean to a horse. Okay. So those contain what are called trypsin inhibitors. Trypsin is one of the enzymes that initiates protein digestion. So if you feed raw soybeans to add protein to your horse's diet, you've actually shot yourself in the foot because they can't digest that protein. But what ends up happening, if we think about soybean processing, you start with a whole soybean and first they take the hull off. So dehulling. And if you look at your high quality senior feeds, a lot of them have soybean hulls as an ingredient because it's a source of really digestible fiber in the horse's diet. So that's one soy product that we use quite a bit. After the hull is removed, then what they do is they take the oil out. There's a couple different ways you can remove oil from the soybean. The most popular is probably solvent extraction. So basically they use a solvent to wash the oil away. So they're separating those out. Then you have to get that solvent out of the oil. So there are some downsides to that. We at Tribute use an expeller press, so a mechanically extracted soybean oil. And so basically what they do is they crush the soybeans in a sense, and that expels the oil from it. 
The nice thing about that, there are some polyphenols, flavonoids, some lecithin, all things that have some positive attributes to the horse's diet that you wouldn't get in that solvent extracted soybean oil. So we really like the expeller press soybean oil from that standpoint. However, there are small traces of protein left over in the soybean oil because you have those other little bits. It's unrefined. So if you actually put it in a jar and looked at it, there'd be little pieces that settled out. And those do have small amounts of protein. And I guess one thing I didn't mention, so the soybean hulls, I mean, we're using them as a fiber source, but they're probably 12 to 14% protein themselves. So you're getting some protein that's even contained in the hull as well. So we take off the hull, we extract out the oil, what's left is the soybean meal, and that's our high protein portion. So that's really been the backbone of protein nutrition in the U.S. for a long time. And again, we use it because it's high in those amino acids that aren't in the forage in enough quantity. So it's readily available. Um, There's quality sources of it, and it fills in a gap that we need to fill in the horse's diet. So that's why soy is so prevalent. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's one of the top crops produced in the U.S., if not the top crop. I and mean, we always think corn is, but it, it's actually soy because it's used in so many things. So, you know, I know it, it, it's very popular in animal feeds, but what other protein sources are out there that are used in an equine diet? So one would be dried distiller's grains. So that's a byproduct of the ethanol industry. And it has some positives to it. So basically they take corn, they ferment that corn to turn the starch in it into ethanol. And then what's left over is a protein meal. It's low NSC because you've taken out all the starch. It's higher in protein. It's not as high in those essential amino acids. And there's also some issues with it because it can be high in mycotoxins. So because we've taken the starch out, that condenses down whatever's left. Mycotoxins is one of the things that's left over. So from that standpoint, it's a more challenging ingredient to use and one we don't use in tribute, simply because in a high mycotoxin year, there's going to be a lot more of that in your distiller's grains. So that would probably be the second most common protein ingredient. Um, Some other things you could use, things like linseed meal, Um, or that's a flax meal. You know, we've used some interesting ones in wholesome blends as well, like pea protein, not as common. And then alfalfa is a source of protein in the horse's diet. So we'll use dehydrated alfalfa meal, just like you might use alfalfa hay. It unfortunately isn't quite as high in lysine. So that's a gap you have to fill in there as well. So soybean meal ends up being your most complete protein source, which is kind of why it rises to the top of the bunch in addition to so much of it's available. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was getting at. So you you know, you go through that list of those other protein sources, not as readily available, not as much on the market, run into problems like like you talked about with the toxins and things like that. So, you know, obviously the first choice is when you do formulate a, a horse feed, you know, that the number one protein source used is soy. So but switching gears a little bit, you know, since soy is so prevalent in equine feeds. What are some of the concerns you're hearing from horse owners about feeding soy protein? I would say the major concerns fall into probably three buckets. So one would be allergies. And we talked a lot about allergies in a previous episode. So we probably don't need to talk about that in too much depth, other than to say it's if your horse is truly allergic to soy, it's not enough to just avoid soybean meal. 
you would want to avoid other soy ingredients in the horse's diet. So allergies would be one. Um, the second one really revolves around phytoestrogens. And I'm actually going to pick your brain a little bit on that because <laughs> yes. you're way more of an expert in that area than I am. And then finally, inflammation would be the third one. So mm -hmm. I'd say those are the three major buckets, not to say that other things might not pop up here or there that are less commonly talked about. Right. Yeah. And I, I know allergies is a big concern and, and we've addressed that a little bit. You know, when you talk about phytoestrogens, it's interesting. We, you know, we did do a research project out of the University of Florida looking at phytoestrogens in equine diets. And, you know, really quickly, the genesis of this was concerns about reproduction. Phytoestrogens are an estrogen-like compound. So when we eat that, it acts like estrogen, binds to those receptors. So you are running into some possible issues with reproduction. Now, the genesis of all this project, and this is to be an hour-long talk, is we actually were tracing it back to white rhinos because uh, the southern white rhinoceros doesn't breed well in captivity because of, we believe, high phytoestrogen diets, alfalfa and soy. So their closest relative is the horse. Huh. And so it was you know, for us to do the research to help white rhinos and the horse, it, it was an interesting project we designed. And what we found was, yes, there, you know, these, when you do feed soy diets, some of these phytoestrogens are absorbed in the horse and they do circulate. But from a physiology standpoint, from a reproductive physiologist standpoint, me looking at it, we do not have any data whatsoever that phytoestrogens are damaging to broodmares, which would be the only class of horse, or I mean, you could argue stallions too, but those would be the only classes of horses that you would have any sort of concern with a phytoestrogen. You know, you're, you're with your geldings or your, your mares that are not breeding, you shouldn't have any concerns with, with feeding such a small amount of, of soy in the diet, phytoestrogens in the diet. It's not like it's, it's a massive amount or a huge dose of phytoestrogens. So from, from our standpoint, after we conducted this study, you know, yes, it's being absorbed in the horse, but it's such minimal amounts that there is no information out there that at those low levels of phytoestrogens have any effect on reproduction, which would really be, in my opinion, the only thing you should be concerned about with a phytoestrogen in a horse, right? I mean, the, I can't see any other aspect in, in horse care where phytoestrogens are going to influence daily health or activity. Yes. I mean, I have had people raise concerns about maybe a mare who's a competition horse, so she's not breeding, but that it changes her cycles in such a way that makes her less amenable to be around. Um, so from that perspective, you know, how a competition mare cycles may make a difference just in terms of general behavior, um, performance under saddle. But, you know, like you, I've looked into the research and really the only thing I found, there is some study that looked at um, feeding high amounts of alfalfa and clover to mm -hmm. brood mares. And with both of those, you know, really they did show that it could impact cycles and, you know, repro -y stuff that is much more in your wheelhouse than mine. But that wasn't until basically they fed a diet that was 100% legume forage. And so the it was phyto so, Yeah. It was so I'm just going to jump in. It's so high. I mean, they're, they're, they're dosing the horse 
so high. We were just feeding it commercial grain, you know, with soy protein in it. So at a 10, I think it was a 10% crude protein in, in the concentrate. And then we did feed different hays, but you're right. The dosing, I guess, was was very important. That that why I remember that one study. That was the only study out there yes, on phytoestrogens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think when we think about that, I never hear legumes, so alfalfa, or clover, maligned in the same way that soy is. And if you think about the intakes, the amount of phytoestrogens in those forages is higher than a soy product. And we don't feed straight soy to horses. It's further diluted because in a fortified feed, soy is a component, but the intakes are much smaller because you're going to feed less grain than if you fed 100% of their diet as alfalfa hay, for example, and then it's further diluted. So from that standpoint, I just, I haven't seen anything to support that phytoestrogens are a concern. Now, I I will just to tie this up is in white rhinos, it is. (laughs) And so they, they feed them more of it because they're, they're not eating that type of feed in the wild. And so places like San Diego Zoo and some of these other places have been very successful taking phytoestrogens out of the diet. But in horses, that has not been shown anywhere. Well, because part of the horse's natural diet would be some legumes mm-hmm, when they're mm-hmm. out grazing in the wild. It wouldn't be all legumes. So it makes sense that 100% legumes would be a bad idea. But yeah, that would yeah. be part of their natural diet, right, depending on what part of the country they lived in. Right. Now you say the inflammation. So I, th- I think, you know, looking at this, there's some truth to that, right? That that could be a problem in high amounts. Is, is that right? Well, that's one of those things. Again, nothing is ever straightforward. No. So no. <laughs> soybeans are higher in omega-6 fatty acids than omega-3 fatty acids. So we can talk about that more in a second. So that's kind of the negative connotation. But on the flip side, they're actually a rich source of isoflavones that have been linked with anti-inflammatory effects. So it's not as simple as to just say soy is pro-inflammatory and it's bad. Mm -hmm. It's a mixed bag depending on what part of the soybean you're even looking at. So thinking about the inflammation, the major source, again, of that concern is around the omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acid ratio. And this is something that's not even straightforward in the horse either. So there is a defined requirement for linoleic acid in the NRC. That's an omega-6 fatty acid. So those are linked with your pro-inflammatory cascades. There's no defined omega-3, so alpha linoleic acid requirement in the horse. Okay. There also isn't a defined ratio of what should it be. We can borrow from the human literature, which even that's up for debate, but a lot of times one-to-one gets thrown around. One part omega-3 fatty acids to one part omega-6 fatty acids. So let's say that's our goal. It's up for debate, but let's, for the sake of this discussion, say that's our goal. You know, if we look at basically any commercial feed that's tagging your omega-6s and omega-3s, the omega-6s are higher in your commercial feeds. So people go, oh my God, it's inverted. Those stupid feed manufacturers, why did they do that? (laughs) Um, It's not because we don't care. It's also thinking about that commercial feed is very rarely the horse's entire diet. They're meant to eat forages. Forages are low fat, but of the fat that's there, most of it's omega-3 fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So if we think about the big picture of the horse's diet, unless you're literally feeding cups of oil, 
very rarely is the horse's omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acid ratio that out of balance when you're feeding a commercial feed. Now, if you were feeding some of those high omega-6 fatty acid oils in great quantity, you know, kind of the original thought on PSSM type 1 horses is they all needed two cups of oil a day. Well, if you do that with corn oil, you're definitely going to mess up the ratio. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's really not until we start doing a lot of fat supplementation that I get super worried about that balance because I know the forage is going to bring in so many omega-3 fatty acids. So, you know, again, soy has good and bad. It is higher in omega-6 fatty acids. But think about this. If you're feeding a ration balancer, it's low fat. So you're using soybean meal. You're not using Mm -hmm. much soybean oil. Maybe it's more promoting the anti-inflammatory cascade because of those isoflavones that are coming in. Right. And you, I mean, even like, you know, you just said a few minutes ago, you're feeding it at such a low level. This isn't a high dose of soy or soybean in a commercial feed or any attributes products. So when you add in all the other ingredients to the feed that you put in that diet, it gets really balanced, I guess, diluted down, right? Like, so those, those omega sixes, you may be, oh, you might be a little bit worried or too much omega sixes in the diet, but with the other things added in, you know, especially with, with the tribute feeds, you're going to get that balance more of what, like a three to one is, is that what I'm seeing with most of the feeds three to one, sometimes six to one. Um, parts omega six to omega three. Yeah. 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 That would be pretty typical. And again, yeah, since yeah. your foragers are so high at omega threes, your total diet gets pretty close to that one to one usually. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final question about, about soy because, uh, you know, we're running out of time. What about it being a GMO, which is genetically oh modified organism? <laughs> I know that's a whole nother podcast or two or three, but really quickly, you know, should we be concerned about it being a GMO? I would say based on the data that's available today, no, I'm not concerned feeding my personal horses GMOs. So UC Davis did a study where they looked at the records from over 100 billion animals And they found that there was no significant differences in feed digestibility or performance, as well as health measures between animals fed GMOs and non-GMOs. Now, granted, this wasn't horses, so it was cattle, swine, and poultry. Unfortunately, that data just doesn't exist for horses. You know, but I'd say based on the information that's available today, it doesn't suggest that GMOs are going to negatively impact the horse. Now, that being said, there are some people listening to this right now who are like, absolutely not. I know that GMOs are a problem. I don't care what your science says, Mm -hmm, lady. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do say, you know, we want to offer choice. So even Mm -hmm. though the majority of our line is not non-GMO, we do offer a version of our Calm and Easy, which is our most popular horse feed, that's non-GMO project verified. So it's using a third-party verification So that's something that most other feeds don't go through the process Mm -hmm, to get mm -hmm. saying that it is made from non-GMO ingredients. So if that's something that's important to you as a horse owner, that is something we offer. So you can still have that high quality nutrition, completely balanced, all of those great things. And it be non-GMO because at the end of the day, you know, 
whether or not you want to feed soy or you want to feed GMOs, that's ultimately your choice. And part of what I want to do is provide options that are still super high quality nutrition to support the health and wellness of your horse. So for that reason, you know, as we've continued to expand, we're offering more of those things to offer that level of choice so that you don't have to go out there and try to mix and match different ingredients yourself. You can rely on our safe manufacturing, you know, all of the information on nutrition that we've gathered to balance these diets, but still meet your other requirements in terms of those things. So bringing that back to soy, I can see how if you are worried about GMOs, you might want to avoid soy, like 90% of the U.S. soy crop is GMO. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, you could avoid soy for that reason. But, you know, we do want to offer that non-GMO version for people. And we've gone through the extra effort to get it third party verified so that you know that you have that high quality option still out there that allows you to still meet your own needs in terms of avoiding GMOs. Yeah, and I think I think it's good that we we discuss these issues and you know, for owners that are concerned and, and they want to know more about what they're feeding their horses. So please go to the, you know, our Facebook group or Instagram account and, you know, give us feedback. What are some of the things that you're concerned with that maybe we can address in a future episode, you know, or any questions you want answered because we need to have these discussions and then, you know, take advantage of Nicole and I that we'll go and dig and do the research and then come back and share, you know, this expertise on the things that you're putting in, not, not only your horses, but you may have concerns about your own diet, you know, oh, you know, if, if GMOs in my own diet, does that affect me? Things like that. So anyways, great episode. You know, we're going to keep, keep this topic going. I think we're going to talk about soy again next week. Yes. So if you've stuck with us this long, even if you are not okay with soy in your horse's diet, I think you'll want to listen to the next podcast. Um, Cause we'll talk a little bit about how do we avoid soy in the horse's diet? So if you haven't given up on us already as being big soy proponents, um, please listen to the next one. And I think we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper there into developing a soy-free diet for the horse. That's excellent. Excellent. All right. All right, Dr. Rambo, we'll talk again next week. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you.